Welcome back to another Sound Truth interview. I'm your host, Adam Miller, and today I'm privileged to be joined by Matt Rhodes, who's written a book called No Shortcut to Success, a manifesto for modern missions. And as we think about uh, what we're supposed to be doing in fulfilling the Great Commission to go into all the world and make disciples, I I think that this conversation has been had time and time again, but many strategies seem to fall short. Of, of a really biblically focused mindset on how to reach the world and advance the kingdom of God. That's why I'm really excited about this new book and our guest uh, this week. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for being a part of the many voices for that one message. Thank you for having me on. I'm glad to be here. Why don't you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself, and uh, I'll let you do that because you'll probably uh, tell us the right information, and I won't, we won't get into too much details about what you're doing, but you're actually a missionary in the foreign field, so tell us a little bit about you and your call to missions and what you're doing. Sure. Uh, my wife and I, we work as church planters in Northern Africa. Uh, we're, we're mostly working with a large Muslim tribe there. Um, so I've been in North Africa since 2011. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, my, my wife has been since we got married. She was in sub-Saharan Africa before that. Mm. And this is, a, this is you know, you're pretty coy about where you're working, obviously for good reasons, but uh, this is a, primarily an unreached people group. This is a, a group that, um, you know, is, you're not going into an area where there's already megachurches, established communities of Christians, right? Right. There are, there are no known churches among the, the tribe that we're working with. Uh, there's about 800,000 people, and in, in in the heartland itself, we know of one believer. We've heard reports of other believers who have emigrated to other countries. Mm. This is a this is something I think that Americans have a hard time wrapping their mind around. That there are large communities in in the world today that have no churches, no opportunities, no access to the gospel in any way, and yet you're serving there on the front lines. Um, help our our listeners understand the sort of ministry and the scope of, of what's actually happening around the world. Yeah, about a third of the world is is seen as being beyond the reach of the gospel right now. Now, that doesn't mean that God can't reach people, but it does mean that uh, for whatever reason, people are, are, are likely to go through their lives without hearing the gospel in a credible way. And for example, the the group of people my wife and I are working with, um, they, they have no Bible translation in their in their tongue. And so that's one of the things that we're working on is to translate the Bible for them. But we obviously have several hundred translations available in English. Yes, yeah, several hundred. Uh, that's true. And uh, even when we're here in New England, there's it seems that their population of Christianity is pretty low. Um, uh, it seems we're in a post-Christian world, or at least an unreached people group, even though that there, there are many churches. There are churches almost on every corner here in New England. Uh, but uh, we still see that this is a great mission field as well. It's interesting to look at, at places around the world that have absolutely no church, no access, and as you mentioned, <laughs> no Bible in their own language. It's, it's hard to see what's happening in the world and, and know that the gospel still has power and still can be carried forward and and do great things for the kingdom of God when we're living in such a, a dark place. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we are seeing in, in in parts of Europe, I think the situation is even worse than in New England. You know, mm-hmm. there are uh, fairly large towns that won't have uh, a single a single evangelical church anymore. But I, I think that, you know, 
D despite the challenges that we see, and they are real, uh, there, the, the gospel does have power. We we do see it moving forward. I think the the key is that it often takes time, and it takes a real significant cost. Your book here, No Shortcut to Success, a manifesto for modern missions, um, it's delving into a subject that I think uh, really kind of rubs the American mindset the wrong way. You know, we want to find that shortcut to success, and you're, you're really submitting an argument that there is no shortcut. Yeah, I think the American mindset is very attuned to, to speed and to numbers, mm -hmm. and that's partly because that's how we work economically. If you can raise production, then you can outdo your competitors. And, 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 and we also probably have a sense, just because of the way technology has developed in the last 150 years, that there, there is a better answer and an ultimate key to unlock things. Um, but in, in, in the missions world, and I think in ministry more generally, that's, that's something we really need to be very careful about. Uh, I think with, you know, a lot of churches going online that hadn't been previously online with this past pandemic and uh, and now having streaming their services online there's this idea and mindset oh wow we have access now we have limited access to people limitless access to people that we can we can really start to grow our ministry but after two years uh, not a lot has changed for most of those churches there is an allure to shortcuts but uh, they often they seem promising, but uh, they don't fulfill on those promises. Yeah, and something we've seen in our own society, you know, with, for example, the, the podcast Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Church, we, we've seen how there can even be something that's very apparently successful, and yet ultimately, if we're not building on scriptural foundations, it can it took nine weeks for the for Mars Hill Church to, to, to stop meeting. Now, that doesn't mean every time God works quickly that that will happen, but it's something we have to keep in mind. Mm. Yeah, and, and especially with the news, the recent news of uh, Hillsong and, and their kind of uh, uh, problems in the, the mainstream media with the, their leadership, uh, big ministries seem to be falling all around us, and uh, major leaders, really celebrity leaders in the church, are uh, either falling in in shame or even outspokenly and de uh, deconverting as they're leaving the Christian faith altogether. You've given us some warnings here. I think that the structure of your book is really important because just because uh, a strategy seems to be working doesn't mean it's good. As you mentioned, you give a few warnings about that at the very introduction here. Why why is it important for us to evaluate the strategies that have worked but have proven to be unhealthy? Well, I, I think for a few reasons. First of all, numbers are a really one-dimensional way of measuring success. And I think it's it's often easy when we see a, a church that's grown really large to think, if I, did the, if I did the same thing that pastor did, I could build my church to that size. Or, you know, for a missionary, I could plant churches of that size. And that's just not the case. So God often works despite our failures and, you know, the fact that a pastor has an enormous church doesn't mean that the pastor is ministering wisely or even walking closely with God. And I, I think that's one of the things that we've learned in some of these scandals. Mm. There's a there's some sort of celebrity mindset, and you certainly having access with the internet. And I got to speak for myself. I mean, we're literally in the mainstream media with radio and the internet, and we promote stuff. So I get it to uh, being a part of the industry, so to speak. 
And yet uh, there's a challenge in, in really elevating uh, speakers and teachers beyond their physical platform, the people that they can actually minister to directly, that is rather dangerous. There really is. And I, I think some of it is, is inevitable. You know, when, if I'm searching for a new book and there's a, an author who I respect, if, if John Piper has recommended that book, I'm more likely to buy it. Um, but there is a danger because all of our leaders are, are only men and women just like ourselves and any one of them, you know, could, could fall. And we need to pray for them, but we also need to, to not elevate them too much. Hmm. Now, when you survey what has been taking place in the world uh, of missions, um, why is it needing to be readdressed? What are some of the problems that we're facing with the mission field right now that have kind of uh, lost our, our directive or focus in the Great Commission? Well, I think there are a number of things I, I do think because of the urgency with which we want to, to reach these groups of people who, who haven't been reached with the gospel, there, we really do want to work as quickly as possible. And that's a good motivation. But I think in recent years, it has transformed a lot of our approach to missions. A much higher proportion of missionaries on the field now are short-termers. And so historically, we have, you know, we hear Adoniram Judson He's arguing that even missionaries who come for only three to five years are going to be leaving the field as soon as they finally become useful. And now, with a lot of our missions force being there for just a couple months at a time, we've really changed our approach. Uh, with with the context of where we're at as a, a church, uh, many churches here, particularly in New England, they're seeing that struggle, the, the, the slow growth, and uh, in many ways, heartbreaking growth. And with that, there's this feeling that with everything we're seeing online, especially with churches that are doing amazing, we feel like we're failing in some way. There's there's a negative feeling that happens to people that are trying to do things faithfully, that they're feeling that they're inadequate. Yeah, I think there's there's nothing more that feels more affirming than tangible success. And so we we do want to see numbers growing, but historically... The church has it has grown it has gone through periods of growth and shrinking, and neither one of those is inherently more successful than the other. I think we do see the gospel you know in 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 Colossians one described as something that is growing throughout the world, so ultimately the church is going to grow, but it can be a thing of two steps forward, one step back mm. Have you, uh, I don't know, I, we probably could have talked about this before we started the interview, but uh, a very influential book for me that I read when I was uh, in high school was uh, Have We No Rights by Maybell Williamson. Uh, writes about as a missionary to China and her experiences. And a lot of the things even back then that they were realizing that they were essentially just planting Western churches in China and, and they weren't really seeing how to actually minister to the Chinese people that became a problem that I think really helped and shaped missions in the, uh, uh, the mid-20th uh, century. But now we're in the 21st century, and we still have a lot of lessons to learn, don't we? That's right. You know, I, I'm often struck when I come back to the States by how different the questions are that people have here about Christ from the questions that people will have in North Africa, where I work. And it's not that in either you know, in either setting, there's a one-size-fits-all way of doing evangelism, but we really do need to know how to relate to people's questions, how to answer them persuasively and gently. And so, you know, here, 
a lot of people are very concerned about would God really give these types of rules about sexuality um, and or does science contradict the Bible? In North Africa, those things are taken for granted. It's a whole different set of questions that we need to respond to. I, I want to bring it back to our, our context here in, in New England in the Northeast where there's a lot of challenges where a lot of strategies that have been implemented have not really been effective at reaching New Englanders with the gospel. Uh, because they might work in California, uh, they might work in uh, the Midwest or the South, but to reach New Englanders, there really does need to be a different kind of frame of reference, a different kind of questions, as you mentioned. And I think that we have been really submitting to the great leaders and the great teachers around uh, around the United States, but many of them have not been to New England or done ministry in here. So there really does need to be a different strategy, and I think that that's one of the things I really appreciate about your book, is that it tells us how to actually find a good strategy from the Word of God. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm not familiar with, the, with sort of the issues of ministry you encounter in New England directly, but it makes a lot of sense to me, because I think one of the things that sociologists are telling us is that the, the United States is becoming not only culturally, but far more geographically divided as well. And so the blue states are far bluer than ever before. Red states are far redder than ever before. And where I am in coastal California, maybe maybe it's a different flavor of um, you know of of difficulty in in sharing the gospel with people. But people just have a whole different set of questions than they did when I was a kid. What is what do you propose then? Is the way for us to as you say in the book correct the course to get back on track? If we have uh, kind of given in to strategies that are uh, pragmatic without actually being biblical. What is the way to correct the course and to to focus in on a strategy that is biblical? Uh, on our liberal coasts, for example, <laughs> yeah, or, or, or more widely speaking. Well, in in general, I think uh, your your book here is addressing the the modern uh, take on missions. So. Um, obviously here I'm thinking in our personal context, but I think globally as well, we need to be considering how to uh, kind of readjust our, our sights on what, what missions is, uh, how it actually is measured, and the success that we are seeking. Yeah, I think I, I, think I understand where you're, where you're coming from. To me, what's key is that in the scriptures, God almost always works supernaturally to reveal himself, but works through human means. <clears throat> and so we need to, to really value those human means that I am going to win people to Christ in human friendships through answers to human questions in human languages with human persuasion. And I, I think part of why we're you know, losing ground locally maybe is because that the culture has changed so rapidly and we're struggling to keep people in churches so most of the books that are being written now about issues that are of concern to people are just trying to define what the bible says and to keep the church orthodox we you know i think we're a step behind actually reading out, reaching out to the wider society and saying this is why it's not just biblical this is an attractive message it's a good message and a true one um, and certainly overseas as well I, I think that the, the lack of focus on things like language, on being aware of the cultures we're speaking into, is, is, is damaging us. Mm. It seems that 
there should be just some black and white strategy, really, to reach people, because it's the gospel, and it's something that's simple, and it's basic, and every Christian should be able to, to know it, and be able to recite it, and be able to communicate that with other people. Uh, but uh, the enemy is great, and very crafty, and the problems that come always are, are directed at a way to subvert that, and move, move it a little bit off-center. And that's why we have to constantly be reevaluating it. We can't assume the gospel, right? We have to know that and guard it and, and be able to know how our culture is responding to it so that we can be able to communicate into that culture. Absolutely. And people are just so multifaceted. You know, but before I got married, I, I had a number of older men at my church tell me what makes what it is that makes a woman happy. <laughs> and you know, without exception, each one of them told me what it was that makes their wife happy. <laughs> and so that was that was interesting to me, but it, it just showed how there's so many different ways of being married. And I I think we have this we have to kind of apply that same flexibility in our evangelism. Each person comes to Christ with a unique cultural background and a unique set of questions and issues. And yeah, Christ is the same. His message is the same, but there's there's issues we have to get through on the way there that, that, that are going to be different for each culture and I, each person. I think that's one of the reasons people get discouraged in sharing their faith or discouraged in missions is because they've tried somebody else's strategy and it didn't work. And uh, they feel that, uh, that sense of failure, they feel that they don't know what they're doing, and eventually they give up. And there have been many different stra strategies, not just in, in world missions, but also in talking about evangelism. This is something that really requires us to work through and to be flexible and also to understand the context of the audience that we're ministering to. Uh, that When you start to do that, when you start to do what you're really prescribing in the book, there, there is a level of excitement to see what God is doing in the midst of, of his people to spread his kingdom. Absolutely. And... You know, I even though I think there have been some excesses on the field, we, we still are seeing God work in surprising ways, both overseas and, and also we're seeing it here at home. But I, I think what we are experiencing now more than ever is, is a much, certainly at home, a much higher relational cost. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we are on the defensive now in a lot of relationships, and we have to endure that patiently and, and with love in order to win people's respect. Hmm. And to, to win our right, you know, for them to hear us. And o overseas, I suppose it's always been that way in, to an extent. Um, but th this is part of, you know, the, the, the love that we extend to people in Christ. Now, I want to ask you, as, as a missionary, as somebody who's actually serving overseas and in a hard-to-reach area, um, it probably really is frustrating to come back to the United States and to see the celebrity culture and to hear all of these uh, books that have been written on how to have quick success, five ways to really make a, a difference in, in the spiritual life of your loved ones, whatever it is, you know. Uh, how do you react when you see all this stuff in, in kind of Christian culture in the West when, when you're on the front lines in, in a hard-to-reach area? You know, I, I, I probably don't interact with it too much back in the States. Um, I think there's always going to be a spectrum of literature out there, both within the Christian world and within the wider world. To me, where, 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 I, where it probably bothers me most is when I feel it's, it's influencing people who would have been operating wisely otherwise. But, you know, if somebody 
wants to to sell sort of a, a self-help or a you know three quick steps to success um to me that it's probably not going to damage soil for the gospel. It might it might even be almost irrelevant to what the gospel is going to do in that person's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a very small church here on Cape Cod in, a, in, in beautiful New England, and uh, where many of the churches really struggle to reach young people, our church has really been seeing a, a huge influx of young families starting to attend a church. It's still a very small church. It's very embedded in the community. And a lot of my pastor friends are asking me, what am I doing? You know, what are the things that you're doing differently than what I'm doing? And how can I uh, see the same results? And I don't even know how to quantify it. I mean, obviously, I think the last two years I've been in a honeymoon period and, and things have been just happening uh, organically on their own. But uh, while there are some things that I think we could do differently, ultimately, w- by looking at the next shiny thing, the next exciting thing, we're really failing to speak into our own context, aren't we? Yeah, I, I have a colleague who, who calls this shiny new object syndrome. And there is a sense that these things are just in the hand of God. Um, now, I, I, I appreciate your your pastor colleague's desire to learn because mm-hmm. in many cases there may be things that they're, that they're doing that, that could be done a lot better. Um, I, I've seen churches on the West Coast, you know, try to, uh, to respond to concerns from the LGBTQ community and... I, I've often been, you know, surprised both by the sincerity of their response and as, as a person who has friends in those communities, um, just by how entirely unconvincing and uninformed their, these churches' responses would be. They're, they're really trying. They just don't know what to say. Hmm. It does seem like the world that we're living in, there is no uh, singular approach anymore, uh, where we used to live in societies without a lot of diversity that you could kind of just have a tailored message for your particular audience and really make some inroads. But but now there's such a pluralistic mindset in the world that we have to be a little more attentive. Uh, your book is a manifesto for modern missions, and that kind of implies that we're living in a completely different setting than, than we were even 10, 20 years ago. Yeah, I don't know that overseas so much we are, but right. I think that the, the approaches that we're taking as a missions community are very, very different. And part of actually what I'm what I'm hoping to do is for modern missionaries to take a step back in history and say, you know, it was really great that for China Inland Mission that people studied language for six to eight hours a day until they could preach fluently. That was a great thing. And that isn't, you know, putting off evangelism unnecessarily. It's getting trained before you start doing your job. Mm-hmm. It's it's not so much that you're choosing not to evangelize at that point. It's that you can't yet. You can say things, you know, in my language learning years, in my early years, I could say God is big. I could say, you know, Jesus is nice. Um, but but those aren't the types of things that, that our people are going to hear and work through. Hmm. I think within, again, our context here in New England, the idea you mentioned, uh, China Inland Missions, you know, going there and, and building a church where you have to have a foreign passport to enter, uh, it, it, it's a completely different mindset, but it's something similar we're seeing here in the United States where uh, many of the, the churches that are growing and growing rapidly here in New England are, are mainly populated by uh, outsiders. They're populated by transplants from outside of New England. I think we've lost our own mindset of how to reach New Englanders with the gospel because 
uh, we're building churches and we're seeing this rapid growth, but no one's asking the right questions. Are we actually reaching New Englanders with the gospel? Or are we simply just building large buildings and filling them with people from out of state? I think those are, those are fascinating questions to ask. So a, a corresponding situation would be that where, where, my, where my wife and I work, there are Christians from southern tribes in our town. Now, they, and they, they have churches, they meet publicly in buildings, and they don't speak the same language as the Muslim tribes that we're working with. And there's a lot of antipathy between the tribes. And so uh, often what happens is pastors will come from the south of the country um, they're actually sent by their denomination as missionaries. They reach out to the Southerners, but they, they don't learn the languages or interact or set up their churches in ways that can effectively reach the Northerners. And so we do have kind of a, a fragmentation of society that we really have to address. Hmm. Now, as a, as a missionary, on the front lines and doing a lot of this work, really putting into practice what you're, you've written down, why is it important for the average Christian in America? Why publish a book on this subject, which, which is really a specialized uh, focus in, in your work, in your field? Uh, why publish it? Why let the greater church in, in the world know about what you're doing, and why is it important for them to consider this as a, a new manifesto for missions? Well, I think that the, the church in America tends to see God's work overseas is something <clears throat> entirely different than the way that he works at home. And so in, in our churches at home, we understand the need for pastoral training. We, we won't appoint someone as a pastor, you know, without ensuring he has years of maturity in the faith. But overseas, we, um, we hear stories of, you know, explosive movements of people coming to Christ where it's hundreds of thousands of people in just a couple of years. And there's something about us that, that can easily think the spirit works differently overseas, right? And so we, and we feel bad doubting these stories or, or asking for verification. And so what we end up doing is we just give more to these. Uh, the more pe- that people report numerical success, often the more we give and the more we send missionaries in their direction. And I really think that Pastors, you know, need to be empowered to ask questions. Um, how fluent are you in this language? How do you know that these people are mature believers before you appoint them to leadership? What are you doing? And it's it's intimidating sometimes for pastors because people in 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 our churches at home will come back and say, "Well, you didn't leave your country and spend 20 years on the mission field. Who are you to question these people?" But it, but it's the pastor's job. And, and I, I think that authority needs to be given back to the church, which often doesn't, just doesn't know what's happening. Mm. I, I think that a lot, lot of New Englanders in particular are thinking the mission field is so big here in this area. I don't think that I have time or energy or resources to focus on what's happening around the world. I mean, we are living in a mission field, and, and, a, and I would herald that concern. We, we are in, in New England uh, in a community where 50 counties are under 3% evangelical, right here on Cape Cod, it's uh, it's just around 2% evangelical. Uh, this is a mission field, and yet there is a call, and I want to inspire our listeners as well as my own church to think globally about missions, because there are places that, that are completely unreached for the gospel. And I think you would agree, and you could probably say it better than I do, that focusing on the Great Commission in, in the world really helps us see how we do ministry here. Yeah, I, you know, Jesus talks about, well, he, he's 
he talks about going to to all the nations and ultimately he wants his kingdom to his to expand throughout all the earth and i i do think there's there's you know we don't want to neglect evangelism at home um i i do think it's a fundamentally different situation in some ways the the certain overseas mission fields um because you know two percent is a lot better than zero percent mm-hmm. and even even those two percent they have to interact with christians as a part of their public life there are christians voting too there are christians you know who are who they're working with um a lot of their language and culture does flow out of biblical sources and so i i think there is a difference in 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 what's going on overseas and it's something the church has to respond to without without neglecting the real needs that are forming at home because a a two percent christian population when you look at new england's history that is really dark Mm -hmm. well with uh with that being said i think prayer is one of the ways that god has given us or equipped us to to be a part of global missions where i may not be able to uh, be where you are doing your work, I can pray and support you. And I think that you could even pray and support the work that we're doing here in New England. With that being Absolutely. said, I'd, I'd like to ask you, would you be willing to pray, pray with this mindset in this regard uh, for uh, for Christians to really rethink how we do missions locally and globally for the sake of the kingdom of God? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we do pray as Jesus taught us, let your name be honored. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we, we understand that you have intended your gospel to cover the earth, that you have sent out men and women as ambassadors to warn people that your kingdom is coming and your reign is imminent. It's, it's at hand. And so, Father, we do pray for, for people in New England in an increasingly atheistic or at least post-Christian society. Uh, Father, we pray that you will show people the the darkness they live in, in in ways that we can't, and that you will show them how much much they're in need of you, despite, despite coming from such a wealthy and prosperous and seemingly successful country and area. And Father, you have, you have done great works in new england before and we we pray that you will stretch out your hand again help your church to know how to respond in love and not in fear to the needs around it and father breathe on your word and ignite it so that many will come to you pray in jesus name amen amen we've been talking with we've been talking with matt rhodes about his book no shortcut to success a manifesto for modern missions You can find out more information about the book by giving us a call. It's 508-362-7070. And of course, uh, Matt, I can't thank you enough for writing this book, but also having this conversation and uh, helping us especially see how, how God is doing great things for the kingdom of God, elevating the work of God and the work of Christ and uh, what he's doing in his kingdom, inspiring us. I hope that many of our listeners will be inspired to do great things with their life and be bold in proclaiming their faith and living it out, and even going into the mission field to serve that kingdom. So thank you so much for being a part of the many voices for that one message. Thank you for having me on.